password. Welcome to episode number four of Parrot and Pinchy Pancho at the Canton. I'm your host, the zombie killer warlord of Aslan, the poet drunk as their paycheck, and the pinball short bumper king, Aztec Parrot, but you can call me Parrot. And sitting across from me in the Zoom room with his pinky in the air, hey, I teach a college course attitude, and once a face-to-face -face librarian who now just sits at his desk on the taxpayer's dime, B.J. Pancho Cardona. Hey, everybody. You just want to ruin it for me, hon. I'm Parrot. Glad to be here. Glad we have a guest. Glad we have today's movies. In celebration of Pride, I'm drinking a, uh, a Pride snack, Session Sour Ale, from folks at Fruition in Watsonville, Galifas. There we go. You know what? Talking about guests, this show... We are being joined by our first guest ever, our first guest commentator. He's a good friend of mine, but he's also more popularly known as a documentarian by trade, but a major burrito player in the borough of Brooklyn and the founder and owner of Brooklyn Burro, Pepe Arquijo. Hey, how's there. it going, guys? It's uh, cool to be here, man. What a what an honor, man. Cool to be with... Uh, some folks that I've known for uh, what feels like millennia. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, I um, I was feeling kind of lonely here in the Zoom room with just Pancho. So I'm glad. Yeah, I, I knew it. I knew it because where the Giants are in first place, he needed a tag team, somebody else. Oh, lonely at the top, so he needed to drag another Dodger fan into this mess. <laughs> World champion okay. Dodger fan. World That's champion, right. exactly. <laughs> okay. okay, thank you, Pip. <laughs> And, you know, as always, we have three movies today that we'll be discussing in our allotted lunchtime. So this um, this month, we're, of course, like Pancho had mentioned, we are observing Pride Month with some selections that will celebrate our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQIA movement. And so we have decided to select the following three films. First, our guest, Pepe, has chosen Carmen Tropical, which is directed by Rodrigo Berto. Perezcano. Secondly, Pinchi Pancho chose the 2014 Brazilian film The Way He Moves. And finally, I have selected for our classic movie, a movie older than 20 years old, Alfred Hitchcock's Stranger on a Train from 1951. So let's jump right into this. And you know, I'll go straight over to, to Pepe. Pepe, can you uh, start us on our first movie? Yes, Carmen Tropical. Uh, by Rigoberto Perez Canos, only his second feature film, uh, his first film, Norteado, Northless, as it was loosely translated, which I haven't seen, but uh, what a great film, what a great uh, uh, sophomore film that uh, Perez Cano made, and uh, it won the Ariel, which is like the Mexican Oscars, in 2015, and uh, I believe it also won in Morelia. It won Best Screenplay in 2014. And, you know, let's talk about the film, though. The thing that captivated me from the beginning was uh, I, thought, I thought there was something wrong with my speakers when the first 
30 seconds come on and you get past all the credits of, you know, who supported the film, all important stuff. But uh, I really thought there was something wrong. And as soon as I started seeing those images, I was like, uh, I had to re I replayed it like two or three times. And it just, for me, it set me up for what I was about to see, which was a story that was gonna, it, it wasn't what you expected. And it was gonna keep you on the edge of your seat. And it was, it was gonna make you feel uncomfortable at first for, um, till you got your grounding and you figured out where the story was going. So I feel that Perezcano, what he's doing, what he's done with creating this film is very carefully guiding us through this world of mushes and a completely different world that I feel we're not used to seeing here in the States. And um, I was really blown away by it. And I really enjoyed um, the, especially the first, the first five minutes because I was just struggling to find my grounding in the film. Yeah, I, I think those first five minutes, like you mentioned, are very important because it, it's, I mean, the director is really blurring the genres. Like, is it a mystery? Is it a, is it a documentary? What's exactly yes. what's going on here? So we're really converging into many different forms. And then, so we're trying to figure out, well, what, what, what you know, and it really engages you. Like, is this a true story? Is it a murder mystery? And then it's all of them, right? It is, you know, documentary. It is violence against transgendered and, it is an investigation to why this happened. So, uh, a love yeah, story, uh, also. Yeah, yeah, a love story, also. Mm -hmm. So the story is Mabel uh, is coming back to Oaxaca after the uh, murder of her childhood friend Dani, who's also a, a mushe. Can you explain what what that what that is, Pepe? Absolutely. Uh, the quickest way to say what uh, mushes are considered in Oaxacan culture in that area is. The, a third gender. It's not female, not male. They're just understood to be a third gender uh, where men may dress up as women or take on the roles of women and it's accepted. Así jugábamos Daniela y yo. Fíjate que cuando era muy chiquita, ella siempre corría como loca. Me acuerdo que tenía unos tenis rosas y nunca salía a ningún lado si no los traía puestos. Ahora sí que cuando se nace así, nadie lo puede a uno cambiar. So the film, I feel, it takes us on a journey throughout this. Uh, in, it's kind of, we're just, we're rediscovering what the Oaxaca that Danny once knew. And um, all along we're introduced to a character who's going to play a major part towards the end of the film. And I gotta tell you, I, I did not see that coming. And I was, I was taken aback by, uh, I was really surprised when we learn about, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it for anybody because of course they're not going to go and watch it, but it, it, it was really well done, really well crafted. And the cinematography, like Pancho was saying, was uh, so strong, so structurally strong. I really did think 
that I was watching a documentary at moments. Yeah, I felt like this movie also, it, it really demonstrates um, another Mexico that many people didn't know about it. I mean, I, I didn't know about this in the, in the Zapotec tradition. This happens with the, with the mushes. And for me, it was, you know, I had to look it up and find out about it, that it's, it's, it's accepted. So, and also the other thing that I found striking is just the, the setting, a very isolated part of Oaxaca on the beach. And it's not, it doesn't have all the glitz and glamours of the tourism parts of Mexico. Uh, and, and it looks very isolated. So, and it looks like someplace where the, this kind of thing would be accepted. And I found it very striking that uh, the other protagonist was from, not not the protagonist, but the the man Mabel, which he gets involved with, was from Nayarit, which is you know farther north where my family's from. So no association with it. Don't don't make any connections. I'm just commenting that it was kind of cross cultural. He is an outsider in the movie. I would consider him an outsider, even though he's living there. So I think any kind of conflicts that they do have it is that you know he's not part of the community. So I, I thought that kind of led to a lot of um, stuff that did eventually go on. Uh, we find out in the end. This for for me, this movie's it's extremely a, a personal movie. A lot of times when you watch out movies, or when you excuse me, when you watch movies and and they look at um, photographs from old old photographs of supposed to be of that character's life, you can always tell the Photoshop work or things that have been manipulated. But in this case the photos that they use of all these characters is like the actual photos from these, these, these kids lives. I mean, you could see them, even the sequence at the beginning, it's like they do about a dozen shots. And, and in those shots, you can, you see Donnie's life and eventually uh, the death uh, of Donnie that, that, that sparks the, the, the interest of Mabel to return back home. So that, for me, that was like, a, that was amazing. Because it, it just showed me how invested, how personally invested the director was in this story, and in and in, in in this you know and and in that culture. Yeah, once again, it's it's uh, like we're talking about it, it, just a strong control of uh, his medium and using what in the documentary world you would consider as like found footage or just working with pictures, the pictures themselves be take on, they become characters. And um, yeah, I didn't even mention any of that, but that's uh, that when you're looking at that in the beginning and then you're seeing those striking pictures of like how Danny was found, you're like, oh man, this is like, we've all seen that before. And the filmmaker carefully, he didn't pander to us. They didn't, didn't, we didn't get interviews explaining, oh, well, this is, this is why this is how people here behave or any, that was all, it was all just accepted. And we just started following this story. That's what, that's what really grabbed me. That's what really kept me watching every single second. Also the, the intimacy of, of the conversations that all the characters have. Yes. They're very, they're very honest. They're very, you know, uh, telling and they're very informative, <laughs> but they're also, you know, done just like in very, Casual conversational style. Gorda, she calls her friend Gorda. Bebe has Gorda. I mean, it's such a, it's so inappropriate, but it's so such everyday conversation that that happens. You know, you you look heavy. 
And I, I, it's that kind of conversation that I thought was very, you know, like, you know, when, when I heard you say intimate, very, and but casual, it's that kind of stuff that goes on every day in our lives. Pepe, you're also talking about how the filmmaker has control uh, of this film. And it's true. I mean, you, you, you look at, like, for example, the backgrounds, and you would think that there would be like a lot of people in some of these areas. But even the filmmaker has control of that. I mean, a lot of the shots, there is like no one. There's like no buildings. All of this is just nature. Uh, yeah. or, or walls on them. They're sitting there behind them. So, yeah. There's cattle. There's cattle running through it, you know, on the back of a shot. Yeah. Uh, which lasted on for a good 10, 15 seconds. And you just like, you're forced to be patient mm -hmm. with the filmmakers, with the characters. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It, it, it makes you feel like, like I said, it makes you feel like you're in this intimate setting where no one else is, is watching. I found myself almost feeling similar to what, how the scenes were cut in the Hitchcock film, which I know is your film, A Strangers on a Train. And when they were having the exchange, the uh, Mabel with the uh, chief of police, for lack of a better phrase, or maybe the head detective, and they were just having this back and forth. And then he says very, in, you know, in what I feel, what I've been used to digesting through Mexican cinema and whatnot of just like, oh, what are you doing? Are you busy? And then thinking, oh, this guy, man, he's, you know, he's trying to game her or he's trying to, you know, hey, let's go get a drink. And then bam, it's just a straight cut. They're in the car and they're going back to the scene of the crime. I just really, that right there, I just found myself, oh, okay. I need to let that stuff go. This is a different story being told in a different world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. You know, it is, uh, is there any movies that you would pair it with? If you're to do a double feature and you're, this would be one of the films, what would, what would be a good movie to pair this with? Wow. You know, I was thinking about that all day, man. And I had it at one second and it, I can't. At this moment, I can't do that, man. I think this stands on its own. I mean, you can compare it to, you could compare it to maybe some uh, waterfront film noir, you know? Maybe this is a new genre, uh, mouche noir. <laughs> yeah, I, I especially like the fact that it, it's really groundbreaking and that is this, you know, because she's not a, she's not a detective, you know, she just wants to know what happens to her friend, but it does have that noirish feel as she kind of, you know, navigates going back home and going, you know, trying to find out who killed her friend. So, um, yeah, it, it's very, like, groundbreaking, like you said, in that way. So, you know, I, I accept that. Possibly Searching for Sugar Man. That's the closest film I could think of <laughs> that it reminds me of. That's a good choice. I, you know, I, I thought about it, too. And the the one movie that I thought that, that could, like, pair well with this would be gummo um because it's like a, a genre breaking type of a film it's an it's a it's a, a examination the larry clark film, film? the larry, larry clark, clark film? film yeah yeah okay gummo which is hard to get i mean i don't even think yeah. it's online but if you ever find gummo like just get it and hold it and don't ever let it go All right well you know the, this movie there is uh there is some nudity in it uh, no frontal nudity. I think it's just like upper breast of you know of, of strippers and and stuff that's going on. So 
but the language, of course, you know, it's it's in all Spanish with the English subtitles, and the the language there is a adult, very adult language, and the themes are are somewhat adult too, and uh, so that's just kind of a forewarning for that. All right, so let's move on to our next film. Our next film, uh, Pancho. Why don't you go ahead and guide us toward our next film? So the next film we're looking at is The Way He Looks uh, by Daniel Ribeiro, a Brazilian filmmaker. The Way He Looks began as a short film that was later turned into a feature film, a coming-of-age story. It is unique in that it addresses both gay and disabled issues of a teenager in Sao Paulo, Brazil. The main protagonist, Leonardo, is a blind teenager living with his parents in Sao, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and discovers his own sexuality, which at times often mirrors his blind disability, in that both are derided as weaknesses to have as a teenager. His best friends, Giovanna and Gabriel, help Leonardo grow into knowing how to be both, be both blind and gay. The film is accompanied with a memorable soundtrack featuring Belle and Sebastian, David Bowie and Marvin Gaye. I really like this film. I, I mean, to me, the, the, the film on its own, it's, there's nothing really extraordinary about it. It's pretty much just a coming of age story, but it does offer, a, it is coming of age story about somebody that is both blind and gay, which I thought is very unique niche for, for something to think about, but also in terms of of Latin American movies, it's very unique in that it's in Brazil. So I thought there was a lot of different things uh, going on here that made the film unique enough where people would want to see it and find it uh, unique enough where it would stay with them. I also thought the story was endearing. I thought everyone's just trying to help each other at some point, helping Leonardo. And, you know, not just because he's disabled, but because, you know, people genuinely want to be good people. So I thought it was a good film and, and I really liked it a lot. What do you guys think? In the the opening scene of it, the, the two young teenagers are sitting by the pool. Um, the young ladies, she's, you know, sunbathing, but Leonardo. Mm -hmm. So Leon, Leonardo is, he's lying by the pool and he has just one arm in the water. Mm-hmm. I kind of look at that as like, okay, is he testing the water or is he only allowing that part of the, of his body to be cooled by the water? So for me, I was immediately, I was like, okay, something's happening here. He's not fully emerged. Yeah. So something's going to build up. And for me, that was, that was like the, 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 the um, pace of the movie. Uh -huh. You really didn't get a clear cut understanding that this character was gay. Yeah, I don't think he knows his game in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of like like I said, this kind of discovery that that was going on, and so for the whole movie, I'd say probably for about eighty percent of the movie, you're on that. You know, that was a big question. I was kind of like, well, what's going on? Like, is is he gonna is he gonna try to get together with this guy, or is it gonna you know happen with the lady? What's gonna what's going on? I didn't understand. I kept waiting for something to happen, but in the meantime, yeah, it was a it was a, a growing up uh, coming of age story filled with bullying, filled with a, a lot of like, you know, just stupid actions by teenagers, uh, you know, that they're probably going to later regret and later on. But in that sense, it was, you know, it, it kept me interested because I was like, it was like a good TV. It was like yeah. a good after school TV show. TV you, you know, what was interesting hearing you like, like just on your comment was that 
in terms of being gay, I don't think Leonardo or Gabrielle or Giovanna ever use the word gay. It's it's actually the bullies who do use gay. So it's an interesting way of him understanding and coming to his own where it's just a relationship. It's somebody he likes. It's, you know, it's, it's not mentioned homosexuality on their end. When Giovanna does confront him, he does say, um, she, she just says something, I didn't know you were like that, or I don't think, you know, he was like that, but it doesn't come out with gay, but the bullies use uh, the derogatory terms to, you know, to emasculate both Gabrielle and Leonardo. So that was interesting. The two scenes that stick out to me as uh, the most endearing scenes are the scene with his father teaching him how to shave. I just really thought that was a, a, a really nice moment captured between a father and a son and him trying to talk him off the ledge of uh, going ballistic about not being able to come to, uh, to America or go on the travel abroad program and just calming him down. It was, it was, it was done really well. It's a nice, nice moment between a father and a son on Father's Day, or yeah. we're talking about it here on Father's Day. So I really thought that was really well done. Um, I, I mean, whatever. I have a scene similar to that in a, in a short film I made called Algun Dia. So it's like the shaving scene is a classic scene, you know, that uh, so it's what, what's, what represents coming of age more than that, right? Your father yeah. teaching you how to do that. And the next scene was, uh, um, with, was the ending. And that scene of how these two guys are gonna ride together and, and you don't trip out on it at first. You know, it, it, doesn't, it didn't hit me till like about 10 seconds into it. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit, this, guy, this, 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 this blind youngster, this kid who cannot see is riding this bike. And I just thought that was such a powerful ending. It was a great note to end the film on. Yeah. It reminded me that Stevie Wonder has driven a car. In fact, many, many times. And so it just kind of reminded me of that, of that, of that, that kind of story. Another thing about, about the film is that there's like these markers. I think they go to it maybe four or five times because the, the very intimate act of the very kind act, should I say, the very kind act of escorting him, escorting Leo back to oh, his yeah. house. You know, they, of course, you're holding them by the, the, the arm just like to guide mm -hmm. them through. And um, once, once they get to the entrance gate of his uh, building or of his, his, uh, his place, his house or his apartment or whatever, there's always an exchange of keys. And so the keys go to the young woman and she opens it and it gives them back to him. She opens the door and then he allows, allows to go through. But when once he starts befriending Gabrielle, Gabrielle takes over those duties of, of walking him back to the house. And that's where that friendship really um, evolves, evolves at. But when Gabrielle takes him to the first time, he allows Leo to open the, the door with his own, with the key. He allows him to open the gate. He allows him to handle everything. And Gabrielle's just there just witnessing it. So I immediately, okay, there's a difference mm -hmm. between what's going on with the, the, his friend, the young woman, and, mm -hmm. and with Gabrielle, the, the, the new friend that he's, mm -hmm. he's building a, a relationship with. And then that gets carried through all, all the way through the... So every time they go back to that entrance point, that's mm -hmm. where you can tell where their relationship... It's like the meter. 
or how strong or where the relationship's at. Obrigado. Eu tava pensando em fazer intercâmbio. O que vocês acham? Fazer o quê, Leãozinho? Intercâmbio. Outro dia um pessoal da escola comentou, aí eu fiquei com vontade. Peraí, você tá falando em morar fora do país? É. Você só pode estar brincando, né, Léo? Ih, vai começar. Começar o quê? Essa discussão nem precisa começar. Explica pra gente direitinho, filho. Explica o quê? Vocês estão malucos? Não existe a menor possibilidade do Léo ir morar fora sozinho, ponto final. Mas por quê? Por quê, Léo? Mãe, um monte de gente faz. Qual que é o problema? Mesmo que a gente deixasse. Quem é que vai aceitar um garoto cego em casa? Léo. Ô, Carlos. Carlos. Onde é que você arrumou isso? Uma agência de intercâmbio. Tem um em Los Angeles que é pra quem é cego. Tem o um número deles aí. Se você quiser ligar pra ver quem é que vai cuidar de mim, como é que tá teu inglês, tá bom? Não tem discussão, Léo. Você não vai fazer intercâmbio, ponto. Yeah, and I think this kind of clip goes back to everything we're saying. It's, you know, on the one hand, his mother is saying the limits of what he can do. But at some point, he's realizing that he has more opportunity than people give him credit for. So I think it's poignant, like, to see him, like Pepe mentioned, riding the bicycle at the end. You, you know, he's trying to be more than what other people are seeing him as. And not only just in terms of that disability, but also in terms of having a relationship with another with, with another teenage boy. So I think he's not really accepting on restrictions the way his kind of mother came at him in the scene. And, and that's what he's butting his head against is the way that people view blindness as a disability, if they view someone's sexuality as a weakness that you should jump on. But at the end, like Beppe said, that scene, it's, it's a very endearing scene of, him writing Gabriel on the back with his hands on his shoulder. And it's very intimate. And for me, it was just a very poignant moment in the movie. Okay, so the issue you have with Giovanna, I mean, I, I, I'm I, assuming that they've you know, just been friends for a very long, long time. Uh -huh. That's the way it, it kind of seems you know, with it. So there's, of course, some tension happens once that he starts developing his relationship with Gabriel. And so those, those, that kind of like splits, but then Gabrielle's just trying to like bring it back together. In fact, if anything, Gabrielle kind of represents this, um, he represents this gateway for Leo to, to kind of like be independent, get freedom, be the person who he's supposed to be. Whereas the person that his parents, his mom, especially, or his dad's trying to make them to be. The dad seems to be a little bit more, you know, um, patient and open to allowing Leo to do what he wants, but the mom's just like thumb over him. She just wants to keep that thumb on top of him. It's like as if it's impossible for, for someone who is visually challenged to go on a um, overseas trip and, and study abroad, which is crazy, which is crazy. I appreciated how um, this was a story where um, class wasn't the center focus and so many times we hear stories of you know it's the favelas right it's the pobreza and that that become that that's a character so it was really interesting and refreshing to see just this, another story from another part yeah of uh of brazil which is a humongous country tremendous population i mean enormous 
you know, very big country, a lot of population, just to see a story from, from, I guess you would call the middle class and uh, a story about a youngster coming of age with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And like Pancho said, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it has elements of, of, uh, of Heather's in there, you know, with the, uh, the teenage angst and then um, um, all these other layers. So um, I appreciated I, watching this film and so I learned. Yeah. I thought the soundtrack was really good too. I really liked the yeah. songs and the rhythms and the pacing of it was really good. Pepe, so you would pair this with Heather's. Heather's, uh, Heather's pump up the volume. You know, uh, those those high school teenage angst films. But yeah, yeah, Heather's was the first film that came to my mind just because those those kids, man, those those, those knuckleheads who got their who got their due at the end, mm -hmm. in a you know in a way of saying you know. Um, that's what came to my mind first. What about you, Pop? Pinche uh, Pancho. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, I'm on, uh, you know, um, taking the key from Pepe. I, I, I think, you know, Juno, because we're talking about teen films mm. yes. and, and things that, you know, a movie that somebody, you know, a young woman trying not to conform on expectations of who she should be, you know, like she's going to grow into her own. She's going to make decisions about her pregnancy and about what kind of relationship she wants to have with somebody, right? Because it's all about decision-making. So, you know, I really like Juno. Juno also has a, a kick-ass soundtrack to it too. So um, I think that was, that was my immediate one. Um, the second one was probably Call Me By Your Name um, or Call Me By My Name. Uh, that, that movie with uh, Arnie Hammer, where he's a young college professor and a teenage student in Italy. That's another coming of age story that I, I thought was very done well. Um, so those were the two that I thought I, would pair well. I would love to pair this movie with, uh, I'm not going to say it's a coming of age movie, but it's a coming of potential movie. And the movie that I, I would uh, pair this with would be The Elephant Man. No, <laughs> I can I mean, see that. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean it's it's that similar type of situation. Someone's like willing to to move out of their situation, improve their life, but yet you have all these people that are kind of putting conditions on them. Yeah. So that for me, I mean, yeah. it's not really you know, Alpha Man's not a teenage movie, but it's you know, it's you know, it kind of goes along the same line. Okay. So uh, this film, uh, once again. It's, it's it's Brazilian. It's it's in Brazilian Portuguese and it's subtitled in English, and there's no nudity in it. And I think uh, unless you, I don't think there's any foul language in it. At no. least, and you can find it for free on on Canopy. On Canopy, there we go. Mm -hmm. If not, it's you could just look around and you'll be able to find it. Yeah. All right, woo! We're making some good time here. So let's go to our final. Final film of the uh, of the show, and this is the classic film. This is a Alfred Hitchcock, Hitchcock film from 1951 called Strangers on a Train, which is an American psychological thriller film noir produced and directed by Hitchcock, based on the Patricia Highsmith's 1950 novel Strangers on a Train. The story centers around two strangers who meet on a train. Guy Haynes, who's a young tennis player and socialite, played by Fairley Granger, and Bruno Antony, a charming psychopath, played by Robert Walker. Uh, Bruno's obsession with Guy and his blatant sociopathy is reminiscent of the gay character Tom Ripley 
and The Talented Mr. Ripley, which was also a series of books that Highsmith uh, had, had wrote, a, a, story, a series of novels. But while Whipley's homosexual undertones are more blatant, there's something definitely there in Bruno's intense interest in Guy's life. And that combined with his overly tailored suit and silk robes, not to mention his hatred for his father and devotion to his mother, these are all stereotypical signs that Hitchcock was trying to point the viewer toward a queer subtext with that character. Wanna hear one of my ideas for a perfect murder? You want to hear the busted light socket in the bathroom or the uh, carbon monoxide in the garage? Neither one. I, I may be old-fashioned, but I thought murder was against the law. <laughs> what is a life for two guys? Some people are better off dead. Like your wife and my father, for instance. Oh, that reminds me of a wonderful idea I had once. I used to put myself to sleep at night, figuring it out. Now... Let's say that, that you'd like to get rid of your wife. It's a morbid thought. No, 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 no. Just suppose. Let's say that you had a very good reason. No, let's, let's, no, no, let's. Let's say. Now, you'd be afraid to kill her. You know why? You'd get caught. And what would trip you up? The motive. Ah. Now, here's my idea. I'm afraid I haven't got time to listen, Bruce. Listen. It's so simple, too. Two fellows meet accidentally, like you and me. No connection between them at all. Never saw each other before. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. Swap murders? <laughs> each fellow does the other fellow's murder. Then there's nothing to connect them. Each one has murdered a total stranger. Like, you do my murder, I do yours. We're coming into my station. For example, your wife, my father, Chris Cross. What? Oh, we do talk the same language, don't we? Well, sure, Bruno, we talk the same language. Thanks for the lunch. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought the lamb chops were a little overdone myself. Nice meeting you. Now, you think my theory's okay, guy? You like it? Sure, Bruno, sure. They're all okay. So when this, um, this film came out, there was a, a fairly Granger, who was, a, um, who was an actor at that time, um, was openly bisexual in Hollywood. Mm. And so um, Hitchcock had been trying to, to, to put together a, a couple of films that had gay characters in them. And the first one was one that was done actually previous in this called Rope. So on this one here, the, the story, the classic film noir in the, in the cinematography with the shadows, dark spaces and so forth and the dark themes that are going on with it. Um, the character that uh, Bruno that that uh, Bruno plays, or excuse me, the the actor that Bruno plays, his name is Robert Walker. He actually winds up um, having a very troubled and checkered past. He 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 winds up dying two months after the film gets released. But Ooh. before the filming, before he was cast, he had been put into a uh, cycle ward. And where he had he was experiencing some extreme um, mental health issues, and so uh, he had been released probably about a month before the casting actually started. So once coming out of that type of mental health services and then onto a Hollywood set, he 
was in a very excited mode and you can kind of see that inside there. And so what, what Hitch, Hitchcock is doing, and this is the thing that kind of troubled me with this film was that Hitchcock was trying to define the gay experience as something that was based on stereo stereotypes. I mean, even from the opening scene, you see the, the guy walks out of the, it's a brilliant shot of only just like waist down coming out of a cab. Mm -hmm. And the first character that comes out of the cab is Bruno. And he has some like wingtip shoots, like wingtip shoes. He had real fancy black and white shoes. And then the next character, um, he comes out as a tennis. Well, he's the tennis instructor. So the first thing you see is like his tennis rackets getting pulled from the, the, the taxi. So you're immediately you know, brought into this, this conflict of these two different types of characters, one flashy and then one, you know, athletic. And so, um, but Hitchcock continues to, to drop some of these stereotypical imagery. Like, for example, um, Bruno, when he's at his mom's house, he's always wearing like these flamboyant type of robes. And so it, uh, it, it for me... I mean, I was just kind of like, man, you know, he's really kind of like going a little bit overboard and trying to steer the the crowd over into that conclusion. Do you guys feel anything about that? Yeah, I think, um, well, I think you brought up like several issues. I mean, I mean, there is that issue of like, is Hitchcock's obsession with making queers villains? I mean, that's the question I kept on thinking. Um, but I think that relates more back to Patricia Highsmith because you, you see it more in Ripley. I mean, these are kind of Ripley's obsessions when you read the books. He's becomes very ob ob obsessed with Dickie. You know, he needs to be Dickie's friend, so he needs to be involved with Dickie. And you, you get the feeling that um, uh, Bruno is very much that way. He becomes obsessed with the, with Guy. So I, I think that was more. I think that was more Patricia Highsmith than it was Hitchcock. But in terms of what Hitchcock is doing. I think, you know, the opening scene is a great one, right? That the two feet, the two people walking, but the direction they're walking there, if, if you put them on one shot, they'll probably be walking towards each other, right? Because one starts from moves left to right, the other one right to left. And then that becomes kind of like the thing crisscross. I think um, Bruno says that at one time when he's pitching them, he says crisscross, crisscross. And then, so they're always kind of crisscrossing paths or moving back and forth. And it's that, I mean, that goes back to like Hitch. I think that is Hitchcock in terms of thinking doubles. Where do people double up on? You know, who is my doppelganger? I think that's definitely something that um, is being played out that Hitchcock is very uh, obsessed with is um, thinking about <laughs> doubles in the movie. So, I mean, but going back to the, the queerness of the cinema, I mean, there's things I think that work in terms of thinking about Hollywood in the 50s or in the 40s thinking about the way queerness is coded. What, what, what can we glean about someone's sexuality? I mean, that's sort of the, the little nuances, you know, kicking the feet, you know, kicking the, the, the other shoe, like playing footsies and the, just the banter between the two. I mean, and those are all coded. So that's what I think is what, what makes Strangers on a Train such an interesting film to look at in terms of queerness is how in the 40s and 50s did they code things to suggest certain things without coming out and saying it because i mean now we come out and say it but i think the the most important part that you bring up is that is that being tethered to being a villain or to being vile to doing 
evil things in a film that gay people do these things. So that, that's a larger question, which um, probably should be addressed. You want to vibe in on this, Pepe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was waiting um, for my turn, my for my forty seconds. Um, <laughs> what I, you know, this doppelganger uh, theme is like very Hitchcock, right? I mean, the film that comes to my mind, right? Uh, like Shadow of a Doubt, right? That's another one. Um, also, um, parts of Vertigo, right? There's this uh, the character, this Jimmy Stewart character, right? And but, uh, you know, so that's just classic Hitchcock. But then I first learned about this film in film school when we were taught about the power of editing. And the scene that demonstrates this the best is um, when uh, they're at the amusement park and it's uh, the two guys and I guess technically uh, guy's wife, right? Or is soon to be ex-wife, right? Uh, the one that he's having conflict with and they're both on the boat and then Bruno's traveling right behind. But this, you know, that scene is, is studied and studied in editing because of uh, how Hitchcock built the tension of uh, them coming out of uh, the tunnel and then the shadows, right? And then the scream. The scream is really like the payoff, right? The scream. And then, of course, the classic cut to the shattered glasses, right? Like that is like they're studying that right now in film. And when you're looking at something that's like 70 years old, right, it's, it's just amazing. And it's just, you know, a testament to, once again, the power of this filmmaker's medium and how he was able to control how, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, you know Hitchcock was known for only giving the editors a certain amount of film because he wanted it to look a certain way and not give them because he didn't want them to mess up his vision. So uh, I, I, that was how I first learned about this film and then seeing it, it from beginning to end, <laughs> yeah, you just appreciate everything. And then of course the little, the, the Easter eggs, right? Of his daughter playing Babs, right? Barbara. Yeah. And then him carrying the double bass and going on, you know, him making his cameo. He was making cameos before Stan Lee. But, uh, you know, great film, great pick. Yeah, I was, I was looking at the way that Hitchcock, how his characters move. And that's something that Pancho had brought up. You know, he, he talked about the crisscross. But you look, you look at, like, Bruno and every movement that Bruno is making is making so he can accomplish his goal. Cause he really wants his dad dead. You know? <laughs> Whereas um, uh, the other guy, the, the tennis player, his movements are trying to like, he's very confused. He's, he's, a, he's like, he's moving, he's moving like he's innocent, but then he has like this guilty feeling behind him. So that's, it's, that's extremely, uh, extremely hard to convey on film, but he meant uh, Hitchcock manages to do it. I mean, he was he was nailing it down on, on the on the film as far as like everything from the editing and stuff like that. But movement wise, whenever Bruno would be talking uh, to the tennis player, he would like close in on him. He'd like move in like about another foot, like if like if the guy was like really wanting to get close to him, you know. And like I thought they were gonna kiss. I was just kind of like, well, this guy <laughs> looks like he's getting ready to kiss. 
So in, in that sense, I mean, yeah, he, he did it, but I, I still have issues about the, 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 uh, the gay man as a villain that that's kind of like brought out like in science of the lambs and stuff like that. It's just, it just didn't sit well with me, but I like the film. I like the film. How about, how about his, his, uh, his plastic hand getting longer, reaching for the lighter. (laughs) 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 I really have a problem with that scene. That was, that was not some lighter realism right there. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it, it was a good movie. Um, any movies that that you would pair this with? Uh, excuse me, with uh, Pancho, Pinchy Pancho. The movie I would say, I mean, just just after watching it and reading about it, it just kind of. I think you have to go see Rope. What he did with Rope, um, you know, I was kind of like looking because Farley Granger is also in it. Incidentally, um, Farley Granger is also from San Jose, so there's two films. That's right. With my family's background, <laughs> Farley Granger from San Jose and. The other character from Nayeri, or my family from Mexico, is from, from Mexico. So it was an interesting week. I would stay with the the theme of tennis, which also needs to be brought up. Like, yes, the film has issues up and down, but that tennis match, man, I was in it. Yeah, it was really well cut, and it was like, a, and it added to the tension, but. Uh, Keeping with the tennis theme, I would pair it with Woody Allen's Match Point. Hmm. That's a good pairing. Very interesting. I would pair this movie with The Player because I like Tim Robbins. His performance in there reminds me a lot of like uh, Granger's performance, his character, and that they're kind of like they're doing all this type of movement, uh, guilty, not guilty, innocent. It's just all this kind of deception that's going on. So I, mm. I, I think those are, are two good, two good wow. films. Um, Hitchcock to Altman, good. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good. And nice. also, those are those are some um, lessons in editing in both of those films too. Yes. So yeah. All right, great. Hey, I want to thank you, Pepe, for for stepping up and being the first guest on Parrots and Pinchy Ponchos at the yeah. Canton. Yeah, thanks for being here, Pepe. I'm just really happy that I get to say, "Go Giants." <laughs> I'm just happy that uh, we, uh, the Fazbean, your first guest, that we stayed on the the first name beginning with a P, Parrot, Pinchy Pancho, and Pepe. Yeah. Four P's. Nice. That's the next, awesome. the next guest has to, you know, have a first name beginning with a P. <laughs> right. That's easy. No, I'm joking. Uh, this has been great. Anytime, anytime, you guys. Uh, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait for episode five. And if you're ever in Brooklyn, uh, then you got to step into Brooklyn Bordel, which is on located on Fulton. What's the address on Fulton? 922 Fulton Street, right in the heart of Clinton Hill, Biggie's neighborhood. Biggie's neighborhood. Uh, literally right down the street from where the procession took place. And you could also go to brooklynbordel.com and you can order online. And either get delivered if you're in the delivery area or if you're around. Yeah. We, uh, we even delivered to Giant fans, Pancho. Okay, awesome. New York Giant fans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for this, this episode of Parrot and Pinchy Pancho at the, at the Canton. And uh, we'll 
have a new selection of films for July, where our theme is the beach. So movies that deal with the beach or with summertime. All right, and and uh, thank you, and uh, we'll you'll hear from us next month.